This conversation touches on bullying, homophobia, self-harm, being mugged and mental health issues in general. I also talk a lot in it, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on if you're a fan of me talking more than my guests or not, but I talk more than I felt comfortable with. And it goes into some interesting places and Joseph was a really lovely guest. And his podcast, which he mentions at the end of the episode has come out so it is there he has been true to his word and you can listen to it over on itunes so to do it live and to see audiences reactions as you do something and even if you don't sort of see each person individually to f- to get the feel of an audience is unparalleled mm. to anything else i've ever experienced because if, if you're if you're shit or if you're having a bad night you know, because not only do you know in yourself that you don't feel like you're doing very well, but the audience will tell you through their body language and through the atmosphere in the room. And then you know you have to work harder. You know, what worries me about doing recorded media is if you're not your best, but everyone else was happy or you moved on or whatever, you're not going to know until it's too late. If you're doing live work, you have the potential to win that audience round. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Joseph. Hello, Joseph. Hi, Dave. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I uh, I had a weird moment then. It was a moment that I'd already sort of half imagined on yeah. the way here. Because when we met up for a political demonstration to support migrants, when I met you there, I thought your name was Daniel. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> then I thought, oh, I wonder if I'll accidentally say, that's the kind of thing I'll do. I better not accidentally <laughs> say Daniel. Daniel. And then like, I was on the way here occasionally going, right, okay, definitely, right, remember, it's definitely Joseph, not Daniel. <laughs> and then like, as soon as I went to like say your name I did this thing that I always do which is go like oh no no you must be wrong you're thinking it's mm-hmm. Joseph so it must be Daniel must be. and I was like whoa no stop look at the actual sheet it's got his name on it and that, that sorted me out definitely not Daniel if only there was a sheet there every mm. time every then I would be okay so yeah um, welcome to the show uh, yeah <laughs> a nice awkward way to start I enjoyed it <laughs> So yeah, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know you through the podcaster support group, mm-hmm. and we initially met at a Christmas party, what, two years ago, I think? Yeah. Yes, and at that point I wasn't yet a podcaster, and <laughs> still almost aren't now, but yes, we met there initially, where... We also met Felix Trench, who then appeared on your show not right, long afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I was thinking the other day that it was funny that when you met Felix and interviewed him, there had just been an attack, and now you're interviewing me. That's and true. There's just been another attack, obviously a different place. Um, yeah, a different place and a, and a different kind of attack. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I controversially I'm not even sure if I would even call it an attack but I know that the press does yes and certainly people's emotional feelings are around it yes. I understand that yeah you'll notice I didn't I didn't use the word terrorist right. attack because right. I'm, I think I'm re-evaluating my thoughts on that at the moment um, yeah yes we met there and then we met again at the demonstration um, that was supporting migrants and, and refugees right and 
mainly not supporting Theresa May. Right, uh, exactly. Etc. Yeah. Visit to the UK. It was one of the many, many demos. I mean, it feels like there's a demo every day. I remember when going to it, I was feeling guilty that I hadn't been to one mm. a few days before. Uh, since then, I've had many occasions to feel guilty Absolutely. since then. Uh, but at least I've I've been to one. Yes, of them. that's like, exactly that's, the way I'm thinking but, as well. But I mean, I, I hopefully like I don't know. It's complicated because. I feel complicated about marching. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes a difference. I've been on a number of marches. The f- when I first kind of became politically conscious, I guess, mm-hmm. when I was 15, like, and this doesn't come up very often on the show these days. It used to come up more often, but I, when I was 15, I was a, a member of uh, what was then called militant labour. When I was 15, I went on a lot of marches. I sold papers, you know, sometimes yeah. as well on, on in the streets, uh, like in the centre of town, which didn't go, you know, I was already getting bullied at school. So, you know, when ki- when other kids saw me selling papers, that, yeah, that, that definitely didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't, didn't help. Mm. But I mean, so I mean, I'm used to going on marches, but I'm used to them not, changing anything i went on the iraq march the 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 last really big march i went on uh was you know well actually a number of big ones recently i guess but the the big one that kind of in my consciousness of of recent times was the march for the alternative uh, which was a big march that the tuc organized and then after that there was uk uncut actions and one of them was the fortnum and masons thing oh yes that's that's what people have heard heard of and and so yeah, when I go on a march now, I, I have all of these feelings. Like, when I went on that march with you, mm. I, I, I felt weird because I'd written down the, the Green and Black Cross number on my arm because that's what you do when you're a protester. But everybody that I was with were, were not the kind of people who write down no. the number of Green and Black Cross on their arm. Um, and, you know, in a way, that made me feel safer. Mm. I was aware that I was, you know, with a group that was going to be less likely to be kind of oppressed by the police for protest. Yes, it definitely didn't feel like... A- you know, we're an incredibly angry and, and and potentially aggressive kind of march. It felt, to me, felt distinctly British. Yeah, actually, it did. In the way that we were all there, and and we didn't actually march very much. There was a no. little bit of movement, then we sort of stopped and stood and grumbled for yeah, a while. Yeah, we couldn't really move. There was no, no. marching. It was mostly standing. A it lot was... of samba beats and yeah. drumming, as there is every protest. Um, but yeah, not a lot of marching, which I quite enjoyed because I, the first sort of, with the exception of marching in sort of pride parades um which i'd done before i hadn't actually been to a march as such i'd been to the um the international uh, for the, i'd been to the woman's day rally right um against trump um but hadn't marched i'd just gone to Trafalgar square and gone to the rally so actually meeting you guys and the other podcasters there was the first technically march that i'd been on i suppose right. so i i felt a lot Nicer, having come straight from work, been at work all day, that I was that I was going to stand there and grumble and talk about the signs that people were holding, rather right. than necessarily you know running up and down the streets and and being but, very angry. Well, there wasn't there wasn't actually room to run up and down the streets, and I mean I, I I've been on a number of kinds of marches. I've been on the running down the streets, angry ones. Mm. I've done some civil disobedience, even. I would quite like um, to. I feel like I, I have a lot of friends that yeah. have, and I, to say you've done it, but I've always been in definitely solidarity with friends of mine who have been in. Right, exactly. I mean, I know I have a a great, I know a great number of people who do a lot more activism than me. Mm -hmm. I don't consider myself to be uh, an activist, or at least I I, I call myself an inactive activist. Okay, I like that. Um, But I mean, I, but, but yeah, like, marching in itself it kind of it, it's it feels great it feels great to have that moment of solidarity um but then i find like i want some action i like actually yeah. want some actual change and 
I don't know. I, I think maybe it's a, like I, I'm not going to knock any way no. because I don't know what the what the key is to get us to some kind of better situation. Yeah. So like I'm very like supportive of any approach, like whatever it is, like whether it's through you know through very official means or very unofficial means, like whether it's liberal, whether it's like left, mm-hmm. like whatever it is, like. But yeah, it it definitely has got to a point where I find going to march is sort of. I don't know, like, who I'm doing it for, yeah. but I hope... And also, like, now I'm much more aware that I'm an anxious person mm. and that I'm um, phobic of crowds. Yes. I did. I used to kind of know that. I knew that I didn't like crowds. I didn't really know why. And I, I definitely didn't know... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't... I sort of... I will have blamed other things mm-hmm. for why I felt unsafe and, and, and not good. And there's a lot of reasons to feel unsafe on a march. You know, the yes, police, oh, God, yes, absolutely. But, but now I kind of, I'm, I'm so aware of it that I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of lowering myself into a kind of bath of anxiety mm-hmm, you know, when mm-hmm. I go there. So I was really pleased to have some people to go with. I don't think I'd have gone if I had... If no, I was exactly the same. I, even, you know, when I, I, I was, I really did want to go and I tweeted out, is anyone going to go? And Martin also replied and that was so nice because, you know, I hadn't, I, I'd only met Martin right. the ones at the party, you know, so to, so the feeling of solidarity straight away with these people that I really barely knew but were like, yes, come with us we'll meet here and yeah. we'll go and do it together it was really nice and you know and talking with you while we were stood there about how i don't like being in crowds at all but this oh, this outweighs the you know the, the message that we're trying to send outweighs my dislike of crowds yeah um but you know like when owen jones retweeted the tweet when i said is anyone going which is again such a lovely thing to do and by that point i was already going to meet up with you guys right. but to have again all these strangers being like yes come with us and come and be safe with right. us definitely if if it hadn't have been that sort of feeling I wouldn't have gone right I mean we were like a, a podcast block I guess like yeah. I, I, I was in the, the arts emergency block a few well maybe a year ago I don't know these things blur into one yeah. but, it, but it's definitely nicer to be with people that you you know you have things in common with you have common causes with and you like well I, I enjoyed your company that night because I was definitely feeling because we weren't mm. moving right yes if I you're moving worse, it's you're going somewhere I felt much worse like if I'm marching if I'm moving I, that's okay with me but if I'm sort of stuck I, I feel trapped and yes, very unsafe yes you feel sort of kept within so I was very uh, pleased to have you there because you you were kind of um, I, I guess you were kind of providing well basically me and you sort of like critiqued the side yes we did we, um, we had know, quite a nice calming time a very middle class thing to do yeah. in the middle of a demo I mean I don't <laughs> you know I don't know what people will think of that but it was it was definitely a way of of not of you know not panicking and it was yes. nice to have somebody there who uh, yeah and then also you know we weren't being mean about the no, so it wasn't detracting from what we were doing <laughs> we were definitely agreeing with right, them all right, right. but yeah, it, was, it was exactly the same it was, it was like a crutch of going well we're surrounded by lots of people which is not a situation I liked but yeah. it's fine because let's make light of you let's, well, let's have a chat about whatever's around while we're here Right, it's definitely calming absolutely. I mean what I tend to do if I'm on a march and I don't know very many people or don't know people that well is I tend to like find some like I take pictures or whatever mm-hmm. I find a way yes. of of, of having a, a goal that means I can slightly feel I'm not there. Yeah, like, you've got to have something be an to observer. do. Absolutely. And you were kind of helping me to sort of, uh, yeah, do that. Yeah, I'm glad we could help each other. That was quite <laughs> nice. I, I, see, I agree agree with you in sort of not quite knowing what what the marches do or what they achieve because I'm, I'm completely in favour of them. I'm in favour of nearly every single one. But what, what kind of worries me at the moment is 
because the world's in the state it's in and our country's in the state it's in the state it's in there are of course more marches and again i agree with those however i worry that potentially the more marches there are the less significance those marches take on right. because everyone goes oh, there's another there's another march on saturday there's another march on wednesday right. so it, i don't want it to become run of the mill and it shouldn't because protests are by their definition saying this whatever this problem is could become run of the mill and that's not right and it shouldn't be like that right so whilst i whilst I am in favour of them and if there's a lot of them then it clearly shows something needs to be done I I, I agree I worry that they won't have the impact that they should however I, I kind of feel like our government is going to the way that no matter what we do isn't going to have the impact it, sh- it should right I mean I think as as things go on I mean these you know there'll be more civil disobedience there'll mm. be more uh different ways of protesting i mean we're also we're speaking the de- well we're speaking on the day of of brexit being uh of article 50 God, being yeah. triggered it's but we're also but we're also speaking on uh, the day after um a airplane full of uh people who are considered to be uh, by our state illegal immigrants or not even that i think it's quite unclear i think mm. some of those people didn't even have finished appeals uh, so let's not I, I won't do the sun's uh, job for it but mm-hmm. at least that 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 uh, plane full of human beings uh, was stopped from flying by a group of protesters yeah, i mean and that's an amazing action um and yeah i mean uh, you know but I mean that that level of bravery as well by them. I, I I you never know if you've got it in yourself. I hope no. I have. If I'm in the right place at the right time. But certainly, it. it I, I feel like I'm more likely to be someone who, if I'm in the right place at the right time, will be a part of that rather yes. than someone who yep. who can kind of get fully behind kind of organising it yep. like in the first place. But who knows? Yeah, and we, I, it's early days. We might all be you know armed revolutionaries in, in five in years. Incredibly early days. Yeah, we're less than a hundred days into Trump's presidency. Like, let's not forget that this, it's still not even been a hundred days since that happened. Right. Um, it feels like it's been going on forever. Uh, oh God. Um, but again, with the protests, people are used surrounding the planes and the people that lay down on the road in front of the air. Uh, I can't remember what's right, important right, now. Right, that was Black, Black, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, again, I'm not against those in any way. Um, uh, but my, my brain does go, oh, you're disrupting a lot of people here who's, who's, it, it's not their fault that this thing is happening. Right. So, I, so my brain goes... What, like I, I get it, protest, but don't do it in this way. But at the same time, the overriding issue is is that the problem is so bad that people feel the need to do that. Right, well, and that's just, the problem that needs to be it's, fixed. It's also about the stakes as well. I think if, if everyone's stopping uh, aeroplanes uh, for kind of a different reason, like that was literally, they they stopped yeah. people from being taken away. Yeah, it is incredible. Like it's, that's incredibly hard to criticise that. Yeah. In terms of stopping the traffic, the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters do, did, I think that was an amazing uh, action because it was so well coordinated. Yes, It was agreed. really clear what it was about out and people yeah. a lot of people hadn't thought about the environmental elements of of of, of black lives matter yes, of the absolutely. fact that, that, that there are environmental elements to the way that people of color are uh, oppressed across the globe yes. right making those connections connecting those things up was a is a brilliant thing to do and they did it so 
so intelligently and their video you know they had like their proper it, their propaganda if you yeah, like it was their, their videos were great and, and 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 clear and and right and true and that is what you often miss at a lot yes. of these marches is any a kind of sense of of clarity like it's a load of different people with very different attitudes all happening to stand together yep. and that's what what we were picking out when we were in a way when we were looking at the signs mm-hmm. you know you can tell that there are that not everyone there would have agreed yep. uh, on some of the basic issues uh, which you know is, is complicated like I think marches are great for building up solidarity and I, I think we need to have solidarity between different groups of people yes. at this moment and people who don't fully agree like it doesn't matter to me if, if you're a Tory out there and you are, are against fascism you are my ally at this moment absolutely um, y- although you know um, I would like to you know make it clear that that's Tory a, a, a traditional Tory voter not necessarily mm. anyone, no, anyone in the Tory party I, I consider to be mm. uh, approaching fascism themselves already so yes um, yes so, so like, I just want to make <laughs> that so clear. on that yeah but I mean but 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 yeah like it's it, a time when people need to reach out to each other but at the same time without a kind of clarity yes. it's very hard to make like the, the best actions I've been on or seen have been you know like Focus E15 or yeah. housing marches like stuff targeted at something yeah. bringing people together who might disagree but around an issue and I although we were there to support the migrants I didn't necessarily feel that everybody would support them in the same way or no, have the absolutely. same attitude to how absolutely. to support and, and if nothing and I think that and that's okay if, it, if nothing <clears throat> if nothing else if, not, if no discernible clear action comes out of a protest mm-hmm. it's and it, it makes everyone there feel better. And that's not saying they feel better so they're less bothered about it or they think it's now been fixed, but they go, I'm not alone in this. And exactly, solidarity is crucial, particularly at this time right. of the world. Um, yeah, because 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 nothing happens without solidarity. Yeah. Um, and, and I went to see... Um, I went, to, uh, I went to see Josie Long's gig in in London last week, I think, and and she was saying exactly the same things. You know, if you're if you are right wing, but you agree with this, then you are my ally, and that's okay, and we support each other. But you know, but you should be on the left. You should really do this. Yeah, but yeah. And, and, and that's for important. now, yes, I mean, that's for thing. now, for now, if we can link together on this on this pressing issue, because we're still humans at the end of the day, and even though I I really struggle sometimes to process how someone on that particular political spectrum <laughs> could be human I still know that they are right. and they're a person if I can unite with them on a specific issue then I'm always happy to do that right I mean and they, and they are you know one of the things that you know surprised me or kind of intrigued me in a, the early years of doing this show was you know I didn't start this show in order to humanise right wing people mm. but I found that when I had right wing guests on there was nothing else that I was doing than to humanise yes. I'm not suggesting that right wing people aren't human but I, I definitely didn't think that something that would come out of my work no. would be showing that um, and I think it, you know it is relatively important to show that everyone is human I don't think that right wing people need that kind of uh, humanisation because they're no. presenting as human quite consistently yeah. uh, by the media but that said not everyone finds it easy to think of them that way uh, I didn't make necessary I don't always it's definitely hard to understand how someone can not care about people yes um, but but you know equally that's a very human trait not caring about other people yeah. and it's not something that's restricted to the the right I mean there's many people yeah, on the left who feel it. that way mm-hmm. and, and it's a really complicated I don't know, it's a complicated time to live in because everything, we know so much. 
we know so much there's so much information out there like in more than any other time in lots of ways the internet gives us this like the hist all the collective written collective histories you know we, we have it all there for quite a few generations now yeah. since photography started there's been visual representation of everything that's going on right? yes and it's all available so quickly and yeah. instantly without without a second's thought right and I, I actually don't feel like we I feel like we take that for granted far too much right I, I, far I do too much too. we don't sort of really appreciate that even you know within within our within our lifetimes within the li- lifetimes of people who are still alive now these things didn't exist yeah right and, and we just take it for granted. Well, there's nothing... Like, I mean, my dad's 93, so that's a constant re- reminder of that. Like, yeah. like, know, like knowing... You know, talking to him about his childhood is a, or, you know, his teens... a different world. Or, yeah, exactly. Literally a different world. And, and so it's a, it's a complicated time when we know so much and yet we're still having the, the same problems. Yes. The same problems. And you feel like we've got all of these histories of people who've been trying to change things... But they were fighting exactly... The, you know, feminism was having the same arguments yeah. in the 70s yeah. that it is now. And it was having the same arguments in the 20s. You know, it, 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 and, you know no doubt further back than that. And it's kind of... It's kind of interesting to... Or like, shocking and su- surprising to think that... You know, I don't know if I thought... I, don't, I wasn't brought up to think that, you know, we had reached some kind of brilliant kind of political moment where we were all going to understand that we're all yeah. human and love each other. I wasn't quite brought up that way. No. But still, within my upbringing, within the world around me growing up, that was implied. Yes. And I thought we were a few steps further forwards than we we clearly are, even as I knew you know intellectually mm-hmm. at every point that it's much more nuanced and we're in a global world and what we experience in one place and even in one class in one pocket yes. of, isn't the same as what everyone's Absolutely. experiencing i always knew that but i thought at least my pocket maybe had some but no not yeah. even my pocket Absolutely not. you'd like, like to think so no. But, but no i spent most of the time on a wanting to bang my head against a wall right I mean this is an interesting way to start this conversation because the way we know each other is on a protest but I mean I wouldn't necessarily have gone like right I'm speaking to Joseph I'll talk to him about politics yeah. like I mean I'm not saying you're not a political person but, 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 but that's the interesting thing about you know how we connect with each other and also with this moment that people who, are not, who wouldn't I don't think even like all my work always has been political mm-hmm. but I would not make political work naturally. No. Like, I would. I just want to make stories. Yes. I just want to make yes. art. I just want to make interesting stuff and look at the sky and the trees, <laughs> you know? And, and But times make us more political. Yes, people are forced now, whether they like it or not, to think politically. Yeah. And, and some of them will do their best not to. A lot of them will do their best not to. Um, but But you really, really have no choice now as, right. as uh, in, uh, in the current climate that we are in it, it, it it's not as easy as it was to not to to say the the blanket sentences oh I, oh I don't do politics or it doesn't interest me right because beca- because in my in my lifetime there has not been such a political shift as there is now and that I have been conscious to the point of knowing what's going on and being interested in it and you know with, with the rise of, of really far-right politics right. that's happening now and and trump as a president and 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 the terrifying potential of marine le pen right with front national it, it's just i think it's it's harder to ignore oh yeah now. and that and that is in some ways a good thing 
because people can't ignore it and they should ignore it because it doesn't it does affect their lives right. it affects absolutely everybody it affects all their lives but it shouldn't have got to this point for yeah. people to feel like they can't ignore it anymore but it's an interesting thing though because it, it's got to this it's getting to that point for us I, I, I agree yeah. and I think it's not even just the left who are becoming politicised as you say the rise of the right is also an indication that the right is becoming politicised yes. like everyone is politicised you have massive arguments with people on your Facebook well not you but one does <laughs> yes and, one and, does. And, and, and those are th- those are things that you know um, you know a lot of the people that you're arguing with ten, ten, five years ago ten years ago would say I'm not political mm. and now they might still say that but they 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 don't act that way. Yes, whether they're political or they make political decisions. Right, uh, but but then it, but that is in itself is a privilege because I remember like reading um, there's a comic book called Palestine by Joe Sacco, which is a great it's, it's kind of it's non-fiction it's journalism it's mm-hmm. like he 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 went uh, to Palestine and he drew the, the people and their stories right. and, and and did a kind of brilliant piece of, of of reporting. Something that always stuck in my mind when I read that was a fourteen year I think they were a fourteen year old boy fourteen or sixteen definitely a teenager mm-hmm. and they were like everything I think about is political the world is political I have no I have no choice no. and I remember thinking yeah sure when I was 15 I was in militant labour but no one else was no. right like nobody else had that experience and I might have been in militant labour because I had uh, political ideals that, that when I looked at the world mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't because I had to no. it wasn't because I had to it had to be political to survive like that was that was and that's the, the thing like in a way we maybe maybe we we both and I feel like we both are slightly different ages but still uh, have lived in a, a time when we didn't have this expectation yes. that we had to be political yes, and so exactly. now it's a big surprise to us yes but maybe you know my dad didn't grow up in that world in, in his world mm. he went to war he went you know he was in the second world war that was a political situation yes. right yes absolutely. when they came back there was the establishment of the welfare state like one of the reasons I was in militant labor when I was 15 is because my dad yes. has had a political life right and so he never had that kind of op- op- uh, position of like you won't have to be political no, privilege. Privilege. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting um, anyway the, the, the <laughs> second question I ask everybody is what do you do now <laughs> what do I do now uh, I ask myself that most days <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I trained as an actor and in some quite vague term that is what I am I don't currently do it as I currently work a full-time job right. within um, communications, which again is an annoyingly vague term. And it could mean <laughs> so many things, but I, I work in communications for a broadcaster. And so it's an office job and it's five days a week. And that's kind of the opposite of what I ever saw myself doing. I mean, are you, st- are you auditioning and stuff like that I'm around Not it? at the moment, because working five days a week and working on shifts every week, I, I can't, it would be it would not be fair for me to walk into an audition room and say to the casting director I'm an actor and I want to do this however I work five days a week and there are alternate shifts and there's nothing I can do about that because rightfully they would tell me to leave Um, I don't see like my job that I'm doing now is not a permanent thing and it's not what I want to be doing for very long so I I still would define myself as an actor and say that's what I do yeah, right. But 
I'm not doing it right now. This is interesting because this is a, this is a thing that a lot of writers feel. Yeah, like a lot of like particularly like the idea like if you're a writer, people don't think you're a writer until you're a published writer. Yeah. So you can even be writing around your day job and still feel like you can't call yourself a yes. writer. Yes, and that's what I'm I'm currently doing. That I mean, when first podcast that I appeared on was was Charles Adrian's Page One Page One podcast, really which I recommend too. Yeah, thoroughly, it's an excellent podcast. But when I appeared on that, um, my current side project outside of work was writing a book of sonnets and that's still on my list somewhere but uh, as with I think every creative person there's a million ideas going on at once and you get very focused on one and then it has the potential of drifting away and then move on to the next which which is really frustrating but my current one is writing outside of that is writing a play and I've made the mistake of reading back through what I've written thus far and gone oh it's all awful and totally wanting to abandon it but I'm, uh, I'm trying to force myself to sit down when I'm not in my office job and actually just write right I think if I wasn't doing something creative outside of this work I would go mad right I really do because it's it's, there's never a dull day and I would never do a job that I don't find interesting but (laughs) it's not what I trained to do it's not what I found a massive interest or drive to do I did it because the opportunity was there I mean, at least it's one that you find interesting. I I worked at, you know, day jobs that I didn't find interesting for years, so Mm. at least it's one that you're finding interesting. But that said, that's kind of cold comfort in some ways because it still practically gets in the way of doing what you want to do. It does, it does. I recognise that. But I I look at it in the way that it it pays the bills and and it will eventually facilitate the passion that I have and the things that I want to do. Right. So... And when did acting, like, come into your life? I think I decided I wanted to be an actor when my cousin graduated from Lippo, which is Liverpudlian Institute for Performing Arts, and I think I was eight, and we went to his graduation, and I think I just and I just decided then that I was going to be an actor, and I hadn't seen my cousin act at this point, and 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 obviously graduation was just him walking up and shaking hands with um, Paul McCartney who was the patron of the school and, and getting his degree but I decided from then that I was going to be an actor and I'd always liked acting at school and being in school plays but it never changed after that I never went oh maybe I should do this instead I found other interests as well but there was never any question after that that's what I was going to do Right. so I just sort of I just sort of yeah, I, I feel I feel like you. All the other decisions and thoughts I had when I was eight years old, I probably wouldn't necessarily still want to do now. Right, I'm in my twenties, but but yeah, that one just there was never any question or doubt in my mind that that's what I was going to do. I hadn't really done enough of it at that point to yeah <laughs> make an informed decision as far as an eight year old can. But I just decided from that second. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it's good to have those moments mm. though to be able to look back and go right. That's that moment. Yeah, I was never. I was I never. Mean, I've retroactively that... found those. Right. Like I've realised the moments that were, you know, significant in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I haven't got like. Yeah, it sounds like you almost knew it in that moment. Yeah, I. I <laughs> it's really. Yeah, it's really odd, and I never really think about it because it's just always been what I was going to do. And you know, and I was lucky enough to have parents who just went, "Okay, right, yeah, that, fine. Is, that is lucky." You know, and and when it came to <laughs> choosing GCSEs and, and choosing A levels, my parents said, "We think you should do a language because it would be really useful for you." 
I was never really good at languages and I wanted to be interested in them, but I just wasn't. Right. And you know, they said, well, maybe you should do triple science GCSE because that's a good subject and I know I wasn't interested. And so I just said, it's not really for me. And they said, okay. Well, that is very lucky. Yeah, I was too, incredibly yeah. lucky to have... And so did you, and did you go to drama school then? Yeah, I did. I did a year at East 15. Um, I did the foundation course there, which was, and I think still is, the only student finance funded foundation course in acting school because they're linked to the University of Essex and if it wasn't student finance funded I couldn't have done it right um from there I got offered a couple of I got offered two places for a three-year course I got one at East 15 uh, another one a private musical theatre school um which I have so much love for in that place but it was like £25,000 for an accelerated two-year course and it was all your own money and, you know, I was going to have to get a bank loan at 19 years old and it was never an option but to be offered was lovely. So so I ended up taking a gap year with the intention of going back and getting a a BA in acting and they still haven't gone back and have only sort of really recently come to the realisation that it, it, it sounds arrogant to say I don't need to because I think you can always improve. You're, you're never the best at anything. But it's not as crucial for me as it was then to go away for three years and get a degree and, and then go to auditions because it's as simple as walking into a room and when they say, what school did you go to? You say, what school you went to? You don't need to tell them what, what course you did. Right, or how, how many, many years you were, there, you were there. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So they go, oh, that was interesting. What was it like? And you go, it was great. We did this. And you go, okay. <laughs> Because they were only interested you in the in the room right there, right? So, yeah, and, and East Fifteen were great, and they really instilled this like further passion. And and the course that I did was really good because it it was really useful to establish whether you wanted to be an actor or not. And there were people on that course who have gone on to stay at that drama school, to go to other drama schools, to go into acting directly. And there are some people who have left and gone to completely other things. One person left and went to do a degree in criminology and and still does occasional acting on the side. So that was really useful. And and they instilled the the discipline that you need not only to be a good person, but to be a good actor as well. So classes started at 8.30 in the morning. And if you were early, you were on time. And if you were on time, you were late. And if you were late, you didn't come to the lesson. Like you, you walked in and they, they they told you to fuck off, right? And that was it. And you shut the door. And you, one guy in my course turned up late, through just completely human error, just forgetting where he was meant to be. Turned up late to the last movement class with our performance that evening to the rest of the year, and was told to go away and wasn't allowed to take part in the final performance. Well, that's and interesting. It, yeah, it, it is. But I don't it, know how I feel about that, but I was, you know, there's some things I can see are very valuable about yeah. that, and there's also there's, a, there's other arguments on the other side. Exactly, I agree. <laughs> the issue, you know, and what they said to us was, you know, if you they said if you turn up if you turned up late to a lame audition or a lame you're not going to get that part. If you turn up late to a rehearsal, you, if you're lucky, you might get one strike. Yeah. And that'll be it because there's because there's too many people who are exactly the same as you and who are possibly more trained than you or who look the same as you in order. F- there's too many of them for you to be slack in any way. And that's a lot of pressure. But as I say, that was enough to figure out for people whether it was absolutely right for them or whether it wasn't. Yeah. And, and either way was OK. 
Yeah, right. I mean, the thing is, is yeah, it's, it is important to figure out if something is going to work for you. Yeah. Um, but it, I guess it's it's more complicated when you're like trying to get a qualification and trying to get an education. Maybe you're paying. Maybe you're losing money yes. to be there, etc. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Despite the fact that it was student finance funded, you're still aware that you've paid. I paid nine thousand pounds <clears> for my one year. My sister right. had just graduated uni after paying three grand a year right. so it's she got a whole degree for nine grand and I got a year for, for right nine right that's um, yeah exactly but you were conscious of that you were conscious of that and you know taking a sick day was really a big deal I think I took I think I took one sick day maybe two in, in the whole year and I felt not only did I feel awful because I was ill both times but I felt awful that I was missing the training and what kind of acting do you like do you do I mean they might be different answers they might be the same answers yeah I love live performance predominantly theatre right goodness knows acting is acting to a certain extent so right. and and work is work and I would not be in the position <laughs> right. right now right, to right, be able right. to turn down work so it all sort of aspects of it interest me but there's for me there is nothing like theatre and East 15 are a very method acting school and they don't fa- they don't sort of focus on a particular practitioner as such they teach you how to be a method actor but they teach you safely and they teach you how to do it safely so if you're accessing a memory that you know would cause you distress but you need that memory for your character they teach you to do that but they teach it they teach you how to do it by remove and remove the middle bit to avoid destroying yourself as a person trying to access those sort of feelings every every time you perform right um so emotional recourse stuff was was part of what you absolutely did, absolutely right? it was um and yeah and we did things for real as much as we could and my final production was a play called saved by edward bond which I'm, is uh, familiar with yeah text quite yeah. a play um you know banned when it when it first came out and and i was playing one of the characters who um yeah, spoiler spoiler alert, Baby Spoiler gets stoned to death. Baby gets stoned to death <laughs> in its pram. And I was playing one of the characters that stones his baby to death. Yeah. So we... And, and, and the campus we've seen in, in Loughton in Essex is beautiful and it's a lot of grass and there's a there's a, a pond in the middle of it uh, surrounded by trees and we took a doll in its pram down to the pond and we threw stones at it for an extended period of time and got into character and figured out what we'd be shouting at that baby while it happened and figuring out that they weren't just stoning the baby because they're stoning the baby but they were stoning the baby because of everything that was happening to them yeah, and yeah. It's, in, it's intrinsically linked to how the world was for them and their upbringing and you know, their, and being oppressed as they were Absolutely, so yeah, yeah. you know so and that's that's really that's you know that's batshit insane but yeah <laughs> But yeah, and I look back at it, I'm like, oh my god, we really did that. But for me, that was the kind of acting that I responded to, and the kind of training I responded to. Um, so, so to do it live and to see audiences' reactions as you do something, and even if you don't sort of see each person individually, to f- to get the feel of an audience is um, unparalleled mm. to anything else I've ever experienced, because. Because if, if you're if you're shit, or if you're having a bad night, you know. Because not only do you know in yourself that you don't feel like you're doing very well, but the audience will tell you through their body language and through the atmosphere in the room. And then you know you have to work harder. You know, what worries me about doing recorded media is if you're not your best, 
but everyone else was happy or you moved on or whatever, you're not going to know until it's too late. If you're doing live work, you have the potential to win that audience round if it's not going well. That's true. I, I need... I, I need Nothing worse than watching feedback. with an audience a recorded thing where you can't actually, like, you know, and they're hating it and yeah. you can't do anything to make them like Nothing it. I've do. been and, in that situation. And I hate watching back projects I've done and, and, and going myself, this is yeah, awful, yeah. I can never show anyone this. Right. And that's happened and that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. But I, I did a play, the last play I did was back in September um, of 2016 and we did a three-week run at the Hope Theatre in Islington which is this a beautiful black box space. It's tiny. You have sort of 10 people in there and it feels a bit too full. Um, and this new work called Two Short Plays About Gays. And I was in the first play and the other, the actor I was acting alongside who wrote both these plays also appeared in the second one. Um, and, and that was so wonderful to be a part of. And again, for all the reasons I said to you, the audience, we were very lucky because we were doing a gay-themed play in a theatre that does a lot of LGBT work. Right. And because you're doing a gay play, lots of gay people come to see it. Right, And right. that doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be on your side yeah. because it's a gay play. And that's not saying that all gay people like theatre. Exactly. Uh, it's just that communities support themselves that's what it is. and each support. other. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and there's so many nuances within that community, of course. So you'd have nights where... You know, we had particular people in who would laugh at absolutely everything, whether it was funny or not. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, because yeah, they yeah. were enjoying it, they were having a nice time and you and you had people and we had nights where it was completely silent and, and no one laughed at anything and you thought, shit, we're really we're really doing badly. Right. But at the end, incredible support. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that's why I love it. Because because I love people. Right. And if I can, if if I as an actor, the greatest privilege that you can have for me is removing someone from their situation, from their place of mind. Yeah. You know, when if you go and watch a really good play, it should feel, for me, like, like you're watching the TV, in the respect that you're looking at the stage, and in most situations there's. You, know, you see the edges of the stage. If you go to a West End theatre, you see the shape of the stage. You right. see the square around it. And you're watching life happen on there. And it should be like you're watching TV that you get absorbed into what's going on and yeah. you feel for those characters and, and you care about what's going on. And you should forget that you're in a theatre. Yeah, and if I can, if I can do that for even one person, you know, I don't want to sound too grand and be like oh darling it's, it's a wonderful life because it's not <laughs> <laughs> so much at the time but it, that is an incredible incredible privilege right to right. be able to take someone away from from the real world yeah that, it, 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 it is an absolute honor to be and able it's to do interesting that. though because it's taking someone away from the real world but with both those i mean we've saved particularly but also i imagine with the with those two plays yeah. there, there will have been serious themes serious issues absolutely so you're, you're you're taking people away from the real world to show them the real world sometimes to, yes absolutely you know like it sounds like you you're the, the work that you've done in those two examples have a social conscious yes consciousness or whatever conscience are you particularly interested in that or are you interested in the kind of broader range of of performance you know like do you like musicals and uh <laughs> 
things that yeah, ex- well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find that difficult to define because if I read a piece of work and I like it, then I like it, right? And, there's, and I wouldn't say also, no to musicals are hella socially conscious. Absolutely. Many of them, so I, I'm I not, wouldn't say, I wouldn't not say no to a to a piece of work because of its specific genre, right? Like, don't get me wrong, sci-fi is not my massive area of interest. But if I read a sci-fi script or a piece of work that was sci-fi and I liked it, then right. why wouldn't I want to do that? Right? And and I've definitely done plays that aren't you know social commentary or but meant you, to be showing the audience something because I th- that's also okay you, you know yes you should go to the theatre to learn something potentially but it's also okay to just have a complete escape somewhere else and to leave the theatre going I learned nothing but I had a really wonderful time yeah. and that's that's the, the success of some not all big commercial musicals and West End musicals right. and maybe some of those initially had messages or they still do but but people don't always see them and that's fine right if people here and, and if and if at the end of the day whether it has a message or not if I'm in something and people want to pay to see it right people want to pay to see it I and, mean, and they don't leave going I wish I hadn't paid to see it I mean would you do I mean would would you only do work that you like or will you just like as I mean I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not judging you for this like I I think I would do stuff that I didn't like if it was paid and I was performing in this I, position you know, absolutely like and that's an unfortunate position to be in to a certain extent Mm -hmm. but yes if I wasn't doing the job I was doing now in terms of full time work and I needed to pay the bills then you know (laughs) I pay the bills and and potentially do work I don't like or I don't pay the bills right exactly that's the sad reality of it if I ever was lucky enough to reach the stage of my life where I could pick and choose the work I wanted to do and turn down other things right Absolutely, then, then great. Well, I also think that the, the good thing about if you're, you know, you're, a, you're when you're a creative person, whatever it is, like acting or writing or whatever, is even when you take the jobs that you don't like, you're going to learn some stuff yeah. about what it is to be a human, uh, and then you can put that into your other stuff. Yeah, so. and, and and things can still surprise you. My other half is is an actor as well, and and he's taken jobs that he'll come home and go god I really hate this or I really don't feel good about this or maybe I shouldn't have taken it right but 99.9% of the time when the project finishes it'll have had the time of his life and he won't want it to have ended and right. have really been good right um, so yeah, things can always surprise you and like so I mean when we were talking before we sort of started about things that we could talk about one of the things you were mentioning was self-confidence mm. and how you know how that relates to being an actor like people think of actors as confident people I guess many of them give the impression of confidence uh, not just on the stage but yeah. when you meet them I mean what do you think around that yeah if you're an actor and you don't portray an image of confidence then I don't think you're going to get any money I don't think you're going to get any work right. to a certain to a certain yeah. extent I don't think that's true in all, in, in all situations but I have the I, I don't want to say suffer necessarily but imposter syndrome is a huge part of my life in sort of everywhere I go right um, and I think that is the same for a for a lot of creative people is that they feel that they shouldn't be where they've got to and for humans in general I think people it's kind of natural to go maybe you know like one day one day you know the job I'm doing now as an office job people sat around me have degrees in communications and have worked their way up from entry level jobs which is just what I'm in to big to you well paid important jobs and all their life has been communications all their interests have been communications and that side of things I sit in that office, I look around, and every day I'm literally waiting for the day that the boss walks down and goes, 
actually, you're not meant to be yeah, here. Yeah, we made a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Like, oh, hold on. You don't actually know. You don't know anything about this, do you? Yeah. And I'll go, no. You, you got me. So that yeah, and that's and that's a huge part of my life and and kind of what I do in, in everything and everywhere I go. When I did the play in September, the lead actress who's a lady called Louise Jameson who was in Doctor Who in the seventies. Um, cool. Assistant Leela. She was uh, she was and still is a beautiful, wonderful woman and was a real mentor and mother figure for me during the play. When we were getting feedback from the director after the end of a rehearsal, when he said things that that she'd done well she said thank you and that's such a basic thing but I came home and said to my other half she said thank you and she just took it in and carried on and that's not something that I've ever been able to do you know when people have complimented me after I've done a show or have said well done for doing something I cannot take that I don't know how to process that I I will say oh thank you but I can't you don't want it to stop because it is no, nice when people say nice things, but I don't know how to deal with that. And I, and I think I think that's a lot. I think that's the same for a lot of creative people because what we do is vulnerable. Right. Everything we do, we are vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I've had to learn. Like my two reactions to being complimented are: I either go, "No, you're wrong. Mm. Here's why you're wrong. You shouldn't be complimenting me. Yeah. I was actually yeah. shit." Or, which is equally bad, I go, "Oh yeah, yeah." because either I agree with their assessment or I don't Um, and and I've come to to realise over the years that both of those reactions are not what people are expecting neither of them are are particularly respectful to the person if you argue Mm. with an audience member who's trying to tell you you're good you're not respecting that audience member no, no, and they'll they leave have, thinking they you're have, a dick yeah they have to have their own like they're right yeah. they're the person watching you're you know and that's it's that's taken me a long time to, to realize it's like a mixture of of both insecurity and arrogance yeah. uh, in me that has meant that i can't just say thank you that's interesting your perspective is is important yeah. you know and thank you yeah. yes i feel like i feel like <laughs> i can't just say thank you to an audience member or to you know, in this job if i do something well saying thank you i feel like i don't mean it and i say it in a, like a joke like a stop it you like kind right. of way but i feel like if i did a performance people said what well, th- well done to me afterwards if i just said thank you in my brain i'd be going they're going to think you're really arrogant that you knew you were good and, and you, you should really you can't just say thank you you can't just say thank you because that's not what you do yeah and it, it is really it's really bizarre yeah the, it, because because to the to the average person who is not in that way of life then it wouldn't make sense it, of course it doesn't make sense to not have self-confidence in what you do but, right. but we spend our, as I said we spend our entire lives making ourselves vulnerable and even portraying oneself as a different character where you literally if I've done a performance as well as I can I don't remember the performance and you suddenly find yourself off stage and you go oh shit that happened and even when you're another character yeah. you are still vulnerable because yeah. yes the audience are seeing you as a character but one slip, one slight off mark, and they'll see you as an actor. And they shouldn't see right, you as an actor. They right. should see you as an actor afterwards when you leave. If they see you when you leave, they should see you as an actor uh, then and not during the performance. Right, they should see you as the person you're portraying. Yes, because sure. if they see you as an actor, the illusion is ruined. And, yeah. and, you have, and you have to work so hard to even attempt to get that back. I mean that's the thing as well like and, and confidence has like layers like like when I'm saying 
you know, my re- my responses to people complimenting me when I'm talking about like my creative life. Mm. As I say, it veers between arrogance and insecurity. But in my general life, that's nothing to do with my creativity. It's it's very strongly in the insecurity yeah. level. Yeah. And like you know, like like I'm not like and 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 that it, it comes down like kind of accepting compliments comes down to really complicated things. Like I'm not very good if people like if someone tells me that they're attracted to me. I cannot I handle that. I no, don't know, and I, I, I obviously want people to be attracted to me, um, you know. And I've again, this is an area of my life that I've worked on. Mm. I'm better at taking those kind of compliments now, um, and you know, uh, certainly I don't want them to stop coming. No, uh, no, for God, sure. no, you don't want them to stop. But you, but, but I don't, don't feel to... that they're right no. because I was taught my entire childhood, my entire teenage years that I was ugly, mm. and I can't believe that i that other people don't have that opinion that all of those people it felt like probably not all of those people that's the sad thing it's like the people who are who are not saying anything who are not thinking i'm ugly in the corner and i don't even know you know and they maybe feel ugly too and like you know we ah Yes, but you get so caught up in it, and you just assume that everyone thinks that same negative thing. And yeah. when I do have a good, when I do have a good day at work, and I don't just mean you know a good day because most days are good, but when I've done something really well, and I come home and I say to my other half, you know what, I'm actually really good at what I do. I'm really good, and today. It, this the thing would not have worked if I was if I wasn't there, and it and it would not have worked if I hadn't phoned this person, said this, or if I hadn't sent this email, and done that. But then I feel guilty for saying that. I feel guilty for going, yeah, you know what? You are actually good at something yeah. because it feels arrogant. Right. And, and so therefore, and then you know, the next day I'll never to be come home and go, God, I'm really, I'm really shit. Like I'm really shit at what I do. I'm, uh, God, why am I in this job? Or why am I doing this? Cause I hate what I'm doing. And actually people hate me. And you know, there's only one person. If maybe one person didn't agree with something that I did, you know, no one in my office is going to go, no. And no one's going to have an argument We'll disagree on things, or we'll do things different ways, but no one actually stands up and goes, "You're shit," because that's right. not what adults do. That's it's not, not what sensible people. human beings. I do. mean, sometimes adults do do that. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. sensible, <laughs> you know, sensible. Luckily, people. most jobs are codified nowadays that people don't quite do that yes, anymore. Exactly. Hopefully, but, you know, if, if I feel that even one person has disagreed with what I've done, or if I've, if I feel like I've even mildly irritated someone or annoyed someone then I'll be gone like that'll right. that'll be it me off and I'll spend the rest of the day in obsessing that. over like one sentence yes in something. that world of going that's oh, what I do fuck, I cannot believe I did that I can't believe yeah. I did that and you yeah. know and you see all these posts on on BuzzFeed and all these other places that talk about anxiety and, yeah. and I'm, I'm actually really happy it's being spoken about a lot yeah. more than it used to be but yeah, you, know, you see these pictures where, where you say oh you know when you're about to go when you're about to go to sleep but then your brain remembers something you said five years ago Right, and then that, that's it, and that's so painfully real. Yeah, it totally you know, is I go, real, this literally does not matter. Yeah. This does not matter. But now I will be awake for another hour. Yeah, well, things that I've been thinking about for years and years and years and years and years, and then I'll ask someone about them, and they won't remember. Yeah, things you could do literally nothing about, right. nothing about, and it makes no difference to but anyone it, or anything. It's interesting. I did a night a few years ago now with Stand Up Tragedy, where I kind of compared the night by revealing each each break. Mm. I basically revealed one of these things I'd been obsessing about for years like I described them as like the worst things I'd ever said and they are and the audience certainly agreed with me Mm -hmm. that many of them were pretty awful Um, but since I did that 
I, I haven't been obsessing about any of those things. It was, it was actually successful catharsis, which doesn't didn't always happen at stand up tragedy. Doesn't always happen. You know, many times I've I've talked about things in public that have have possibly increased how much that was affecting yes. me. Yes, um, but in that, those terms, in those those ten things or however many there were, I don't even want to think about what they were because I don't want them to start bothering me no, again. But no. you know, it worked. You know, it saying it to a room full of people and having them judge me. But also, I, I also um, identify with me. Yes, it's like a, it's both of those things at the same time. Like, oh yes, I'm just another human. Yeah, that's just other what people shit things as well. That's fine. Now, now I'm going to sort of like make a connection that may or may not be. You know, you can say this is cod psychology or bullshit or whatever you like. Um, but do you think that like some of your imposter syndrome that you feel maybe is partly related to the fact that you are gay within a kind of heteronormative society? Um, I mean that's such an obvious. Like, I mean, but well, also probably because it's obvious. It's, it's probably it's wrong. Obvious because, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but it's obvious because a lot of these things are based in truth to a certain extent. You know, people say things or believe things or stereotypes exist because they are in some way based in fact. Mm. So, so yes and no. Right. Um, you know, no because I was brought up in the, the best household that someone could hope for, and after I'd come out, I you know I'd been self harming for a while and when I came out to my parents because they found out about that you know there was no question of the sexuality thing at all it was instantly okay let's get the self-harm sorted and let's get the bullying sorted and let's get all of that sort of thing so it's a very pragmatic approach to right. solving, solving the issue of my negative feelings it wasn't solving the issue of my sexuality right. and you know after that I did a lot of charity work and activism and, and work with a charity up in Manchester who uh, called the Lesbian Gay Foundation um God, they might have changed their name now, but I hope so. There's a few were, more letters they were, now. They were known as the LGF. I think I did a lot of work with them. I did assemblies in my school about anti-homophobia and combating it, and and I contributed to to literature and, and about it. And, and were I you was, out at school then? Yes, I came out when I was fourteen. Wow. Um, and I came. I mean, out I'm, I, I'm supportive yeah. of that, but like, I know how. Like, I I received homophobic bullying when I was fourteen, and I'm straight. Right? Yeah. That's how fucked up schools are. Yeah. Anyway. Oh god. Like, schools oh, are brutal, god. right? So Children coming out of fourteen, worst. Jesus. Yeah. But that's a brave uh, move to make. Totally. And and you know, and I came out as bi at the time, so that's what I was, and, yeah. and I don't identify as as, as bi anymore, and that's fine. But but you know, in, in retrospect, I I would have held off on that. But at the same time, my brain overrides it with, well, why shouldn't? And, and, and that's what I thought at the time. Exactly. So I went, well, I guess I like boys and girls. I guess people should know that because otherwise, I won't have any boys to kiss. This if, is, if people don't, if boys don't like, I like that is very true. If boys don't know I like I don't, uh, that I do like boys. Right. You know, and so. So it, it, it never, and again, this is to do with the house, uh, the household that I grew up in. It never even crossed my mind that I shouldn't tell people that's how I identified. Right. And you know, so my, so my brain now, as a as a twenty one year old, new twenty two year old, goes, yeah, you probably should have left that for a little while, but, but I didn't, and 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 I also think it was the right decision because even though there were you know, negative side effects to that, if I hadn't come out when I did then my life would not have taken the journey that it had and I'm a big believer in that if I yeah if I hadn't have done it at that exact time my life would have taken a completely different path right and and I'm a big believer in things happening for a reason is too blanket because that's not always true right but but in my life I believe that things happen to me or I do things at certain times for a reason right and and I thoroughly believe my life would have been completely different had it not come out when I had because it formed a huge part of who I was right. and the work that I did 
as a teenager. And I got I got a call from um, from a local radio station a couple of weeks ago saying we're doing this feature on anti-bullying. Would you mind contributing? And they called me because I did so much of that when I was a teenager. Between between the sort of ages sixteen and eighteen, I was doing local and national radio stuff, and I was being called by them. Yeah. Nearly every week, nearly every other week, something would come up they'd ask me to contribute with. And I said to them this time around, actually, I'm in my 20s now, I've got a full-time job. You know, I'm not the right person anymore. It's not that I don't want to talk about it, but there are, I'm, not a, I'm not a young person, in inverted commas, that they were looking for for Definitely that feature. Definition yeah, of youth, exactly. exactly. But, you know, I'm not a teenager at school. And yeah. that's who they were looking for for that piece. But to even still be wrong now is, is a nice thing. Yeah. And, and I thoroughly believe that I that you should make good out of something I mean, that's really interesting to me that you ex- like so I mean like it, so, I, I, I exploited it yeah but it's interesting but to me like good. so I was bullied you know quite substantially at school too Dif- different reasons lots of crossover mm. no doubt I mean I mean, maybe maybe that's where the cod psychology is it's, it's less to do with your sexuality and more to do with being bullied at school or whatever like yeah. if, if people have if you're used to people assessing you and judging you uh, that makes it more likely you're going to feel like an imposter in yes. whatever job yes. I feel like, and I'm definitely used to that. And you're, it sounds like used to that. But what what I'm really impressed by is that you were during your teens outspoken and active around it like when I was being bullied I, I did try a bit of that but it never really went down well like I tried to write a, an article for the school newspaper mm. but the teachers were like we can't print this you're going to get even worse bullying and, and they were probably right yeah uh, I would have liked the opportunity yes to, uh, uh, to see school. if I was right actually, I'm lucky with how supportive my school because I was really that, badly definitely. bullied anyway so I don't know exactly how it could have got worse no no um, I, yeah I, 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 I was a very precocious teenager, and, well, and yeah, I just went and it. I just went and did things because I wanted to, and and I and I kind of always have been that person, and a, a big part of what I do now in, in general life is to, to try and step back a lot more and go, let's think about what we're going to do, Joseph, before we go and do it. <laughs> I never really did that, but but going back to your question whether it whether it applies or not to the imposter syndrome, n- no, in in that respect. But yes, in respect that there's there's a book called Straight Jacket, How to Be Gay and Happy by Matthew Todd, and everyone should read it. Everybody, gay or straight, binary, non-binary, any every human being in the Western world should read that book um, because it ex- it explained things and put things into words that I'd never been able to comprehend and things I hadn't necessarily realised. And this is where it comes into. I think I think the imposter syndrome applies subconsciously because of shame and in the book Matthew talks about two different types of shame when you are a child the example he uses is if a toddler walks towards an open fire in a living room the parent grabs them straight away and tells them off and tells them them not to do it they shame the child the child feels shame for doing it and that is a good kind of shame because when you are that age your entire being relies on your parents. It relies on your parent or your guardian. And the way that children learn by doing bad things is that, okay, if I go towards fire, if I touch that fire, it's not necessarily that the child can comprehend they're going to get hurt. What they comprehend subconsciously is that it's going to affect the bond between them and their guardian or their parent. So therefore they don't do it because they rely on their parent for love and for life. The shame that is kind of toxic shame that we can do nothing about is when someone says something like be a man 
Yeah. There's no, the, the, the child can do the child can do nothing about that. I didn't like football as a kid. I never liked football. At, at, at primary school, at lunchtime, the girls would get the stereo out and put in a CD and they'd dance to whatever music was on the Now album at the time and the boys would play football. I always went and danced with the girls. In year six and finally at primary school, I had hair down to my shoulders, you know, and that's that's what I always did. If someone tells you to be a man, the child can do nothing to, to, yeah. to fix that. There's nothing they can do about this. That's toxic shame that gets ingrained and... We, despite how the world might seem now, we do live in a progressive society. And even in my 21 years alive, there has been incredible, incredible leaps forward in rights and the lives of LGBTQ plus people in this country. It's still got a long way to go, as all of these things do. But even in the years that I've been alive in that in that you know relatively short period of twenty odd years, there's been an incredible there's been incredible changes and, and leaps mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. And can't deny it. Despite that, our society still exists where you have these types of toxic shame that you can do nothing about. Mm-hmm. So therefore, so therefore, yes, that psychology applies to being an imposter. I don't feel like I'm discriminated against because of my sexuality. But it certainly affects your self-confidence on a very deep level because of how society right. is and was. Right. And I don't think... Yeah, exactly. And I don't think this is just like... It's not a gay uh, only thing. No. Like, uh, like one of the reasons that I ha- received homophobic bullying is because it was sensed that I was not, you know, being a man. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, and I've done a lot of work around this. And it's interesting, actually, to find out your kind of age this this late on. Like, I didn't exactly know your age. But, like, when I was saying we were different generations, I guess I'm a different generation. Yeah, I'm definitely a different generation from you. A which different generation. It's a weird thing to say. Oh, common. yeah, we totally do. Um, and it's interesting to think, like, you know, you were in school 15 years later than I was so maybe things had progressed enough to yeah. make uh, an environment where someone who was receiving bullying could actually kind of do something with that yeah. or maybe we're just different people or maybe there's just different circumstances whatever but it's interesting to think about that I mean I don't know if we're a progressive society I have to say <laughs> I, 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 I believe intrinsically I, I, we are. I, I hope we are I think there are progressive elements uh, within society I think there may be always have been though um and i certainly think that the fact that we have been progressive maybe for some years yes. does not mean we're not in a period of regress yeah yeah at the moment yes. but that's an interesting thing as well when we sort of started this conversation and we sort of talked about politics and then i sort of said i don't know if i would have talked to you about politics it's interesting that now the knit towards the end of this conversation i'm like oh actually no i should have done anyway like that's the you Every, are the right person everything to comes do. down to politics right. like because, like because politics well, is within everything that was a wildly political thing to be a 14 year old out at school and then campaigning like yeah. in in many ways against bullying and to have been involved in uh, lgbtqia like rights that stuff is political and it would make absolute sense like you know you're less surprising to be standing out there mm. uh, with me than some of the other people who were there with us yeah uh, probably yes. i mean like you know but these are the, these are the days when we're all uh, we may have had like 
areas or pockets of activism in yeah. the past that we specialized in and now it's a time when you can't specialize you have to get more general yes. about everything because okay. you know as you say maybe things have been progressive mm. for people within certain classes within certain you know of certain you know with certain privileges uh, have ha- been allowed to be progressive but yes. but if we don't help everyone to be progressive now then everything people have fought for will be lost agree absolutely so that's i mean yeah and and something that it's kind of kind of related to so i'll try and keep it brief but something <laughs> that i i believe very strongly and and actually it was the initial idea first i first heard about it in an episode of answer me this many years ago another very good podcast yeah very good podcast. um in, in which i think it was i think it was helen saltzman said that everyone should have therapy and I believe that very strongly. I think every you should you should have you should have to have a reason, like a, 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 a sort of documented excuse, a reason to not go and have a mental health checkup, <laughs> to go and have therapy, or, or you know, therapy is a strong word, right. perhaps, but to go and have a checkup on your mental health and to talk to someone or a professional or a group of people, a group of strangers in a room about how you feel or about bad things that you've done that you feel bad. Some about. space for a therapeutic experience in your life. Yes, well, right. I mean everyone should have. There's to have many that. kinds of therapy and and also you know therapy is an interesting thing like yeah. i would love to have therapy but i've come to realize that until i can find the right therapist yeah absolutely. i can't i mean and also until i have money to pay for one oh, because you know it, <laughs> yeah like, the, on the options budget. on the nhs aren't aren't great no, and i've used and and hard I've, to, I've, to, to to even be allowed to I've, have. I've used any i've had nhs therapies i had i had yeah, cognitive too. behavioral me therapy too. i had it um i was <laughs> yeah i was i was mugged um Ooh, probably about two years ago, um, I was mugged at knife point and uh, I was never hurt or anything, but you know, they took my phone, they took my bank cards, they had my pen number and they didn't get anything from those cards because it was shut down in time and I wasn't injured. But you know, I even, and, and now two years on, I still feel incredibly nervous and there are areas of London that I will not go to because I perceive them to be unsafe. There is, there's nothing wrong with Highbury and Islington. Highbury and Islington's, on the whole, yeah, a very nice place to be. But I've only just got to the stage where I feel like I can go there. And when I was doing my play, I was walking straight from the theatre, straight to the tube, vice versa, and, and not doing anything else because my mission was to get out there as quick, get out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it's like if you've had a bad experience, yes. you've got an association with that place, yeah. with that kind of context. Yeah, I was living in Manor House at the time, right. and I don't feel like I could ever go back to Manor House. But yeah, and CBT on the NHS worked for me at that moment in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since then, trying other forms of therapy for other issues unrelated to you know physical experience work and and some don't work and the nhs i have a lot of time for and i'm a very and will continue to be a very big advocate for the nhs um, while they exist while they exist <laughs> um but you know but cbt is not for everyone and yeah. the nhs's offers of therapy is not for everyone and unfortunately it's an expensive business yeah but i do believe that that it should be a human right to have some sort of space for a therapeutic experience i mean i i i, I do agree with that i mean and, and whilst at the same time being sad that so few, you know so few people have an access to mm. at least a stable kind of therapy we might occasionally have moments yes uh but it's and you know it's a, it's a complicated thing what is therapy uh is a is a you know people have different definitions different yes. ideas of that you know fine and some people may 
maybe their 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 experience of their religion is is a kind of therapy. Absolutely, you know, there's all sorts of things like that, oh, which gotcha. I don't I have. Found, I don't have access to that. I found a lot of comfort and therapy in 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 faith and and prayer when I was going through like, a really rough breakup. Again, this is over two years ago now, and my faith comes and goes. You know, and, and at that point, it was incredibly strong because it was exactly what I needed. And it was the comfort mechanism I needed right, at that time. Right. And if not, and if nothing else, religion is a comfort mechanism to a lot of people, and yeah. that's okay. No, that's absolutely. absolutely yeah. I mean, if that's all religion is to you, fine. That's. I mean, yeah. I don't under. Yeah. In in those terms, I don't understand why anyone has an objection to religion. I understand why people have there objections all, to organised religion yes, there are to far certain kinds of issues within that. religion. But but like the basic idea of just. You know, yeah, comfort and uh, you know, support and things like this, and, and there are a lot of good things in religion. And I certainly think at this moment in time, particularly with the amount of Islamophobia we have in this yes. country, you know, it's really important to just be knocking home the fact that you know, to be religious is not to be op- oppressive. They are not the Absolutely. same thing. Yes. They are things that can coexist. Yes. Just as, as anything can coexist. I believe very strongly else. that if you don't understand something, you should talk to someone about it. If you don't understand, <clears> or if you feel you yeah. have a certain impression about religion or a specific religion, you should go and talk to someone about that religion. Not just one person. Talk to different people, because religion is very personal. Yeah. But you should just, if you don't understand something, or if you feel you don't fully understand something, talk to someone, or talk to multiple people. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, this has been a, 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 a really amazing kind of like journey, like because we didn't like even though we've we've hung out a couple of times, mm. we've hung hung out in a like you know one time in terms of you know we we critiqued a load of signs yes. as we've mentioned, but also other times we've sort of talked films. And, yeah, it's in you know, an acquaintance, sm- more small sort, sort of stuff. And this has been really nice to kind of like get to know you like more fully and, and get you. to know some of the things that make you tick. Um, so it's been a pleasure to do that. And the last. Uh, thing that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug and I almost feel like we've we've started plugging things in this <laughs> I like or so first plug is everyone should have some kind of therapeutic experience in their life that's a brilliant plug yes. so I definitely think it should be included in the plug mine, mine has been this but addition, <laughs> additionally to that um, by the time this comes out whenever it comes out I my my sort of placeholder at least episode for my podcast will be on iTunes so that's my plug it's called I Want To Be and it is a podcast where I talk to people about the jobs that they do and it's going to be everything from um, a burlesque dancer to hopefully a window cleaner you know, wow. and, and anything in between so by the time this goes out if nothing else a placeholder episode will be up on iTunes so go and search for I Want To Be and that's my plug and have you recorded anything yet? got my placeholder um, so you got and, right. and a couple of guests lined up to interview. Exciting! It's scary. As soon as I put that placeholder up on there, I've got to do it. Yep. But hence why now I'm saying it in it's a recorded like, medium. Yeah. I have to have put it up there by it's, the time this episode comes it's up. The, it's the internet equivalent of booking the room. Absolutely. And that's good. And that's a good, exciting thing to do. So I, I want to be. I'm excited to to hear that. It sounds like a podcast uh, after my own heart. Uh, in a way, often like this. This podcast sometimes feels like I'm interviewing people mm. about their jobs. Depends on how that second question goes, but sometimes that second question can be the entirety of the the episode if someone's got a particularly interesting or uh, emotional relationship to their to their job. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be an interesting job; they can just really care about yeah. it. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the upsides and downsides of the jobs that they do and things that people might not expect. Yeah. Um, 
yeah it's exciting it's really terrifying but I'm, I'm quite excited about well, that well I mean like yeah I definitely do it and, and uh, I'm excited to be the thing that's going to force you to do that yay um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah the last thing I ask my guest to do is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience bye everyone <laughs> If you want to, you can vote for Getting Better Acquainted or my other podcast, The Family Tree, for the British Podcast Awards. There's a listener's choice option as part of those awards and your listeners and maybe, just maybe, you will choose me. Uh, you can do that over at thebritishpodcastawards.com. I'm also working on series two of The Family Tree, me and my partner Jen. Look out for more Family Tree. And if you haven't heard the first series, it's all there uh, over on the website, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, all the places that podcasts go to hang out. So you can listen to that show from the beginning. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. One thing that really helps the show if you have some time would be for you to leave a rating and a review on iTunes uh, telling people about the show and why you like it. If you have money to spare and you want to support what I do then you can donate to the show via the PayPal link that you can find on the SoundCloud page. If you want to support the family tree you can sign up to the patreon that would be so helpful because we're making the second season and so we need a budget we need to pay people and so you could help us to do that but remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted 